Hello and welcome to this episode of Lead Difference Experiment with Friends. As always, I'm joined by my old friend, Kyron. How are you doing, Kyron? I'm well. How are you? I'm brilliant. I'm really excited about today's guest. Today's guest is another old friend. Uh, I've known him since around 2000, I think, maybe 2001, which is a long time for people who don't know that. Uh, so it's been about 20 years. Uh, and today's guest is a friend of mine. His name is Mark Nash. He is uh, an ex-boomer. So he played basketball for Australia in both junior and senior level. He played NBL for over a decade. Uh, he's uh, now the founder and director of Swisher Hoops Academy, and he's the head coach of the NBL One team, the Hobart Chargers. Uh, and he's all around, he's been described as one of the nicest guys you'll meet in professional sports, which is saying something, and I would concur with that. Mark, welcome to our podcast. Thank you very much, James Kyron. Great to be here. And Sometimes being the nice guy in sport is, is not a tag you want, but look, you know, amazing journeys and lots of awesome people along the way. So you played for the Boomers. Like, that's incredible. There's not a lot of – there's millions of basketball players in Australia, and you made it all the way to the Boomers. Oh, we want to talk about a little bit about that journey because that's insane. Because where, where did you grow up, Mark? Yeah, I, I grew up in Hobart in Tasmania, and that's where, where basketball started for me. There was a, an NBL team here at the time, which was um, – you know, part of the dream of trying to play in that, that competition against guys like Andrew Gaze and Leroy Loggins, which is going back a long way yes. for people that, that follow basketball. But yeah, that, that was a dream. And I actually got that opportunity um, straight out of year 12. And the Boomers opportunity came across uh, or came up for me while I was in Adelaide. My coach, uh, Phil Smythe, uh, stepped into the Boomers head coach role. And there were a, a, a big transition after the Sydney Olympics where you know, Andrew Gaze, Shane Hill, Luke Longley, all those guys retired. And there was a number of injuries. So I actually got a late call up for a, a tour to uh, China and uh, actually got on board with the Boomers. I had to scurry around and try and find my passport and ended up playing in a couple of tournaments that year, which was just just amazing. Did you get to play against Andrew Gaze, by the way? I played a lot against Andrew Gaze in the NBL. And I I remember the first time I played him, it was at, in Melbourne at you know the tennis centre where the Australian Opens played. And I ended up guarding him on one possession and almost just felt like giving him a hug or asking for an autograph. And he, you know, he, he, he hit a three and my coach is like, no, she did a hand up. But you know, it was um, pretty amazing as a 19-year-old a to be in that environment and you know, playing professional basketball against um, people that you've idolised. And then I got to play in Brisbane with Leroy Loggins and then the mighty, mighty Adelaide 36ers spent seven years there as well. So basketball has been really good to me and I just love that journey. Yeah. One of the things I want to talk about today is the idea that um, for each of us, there's this idea of a default future, kind of the future that we just drift into if we don't um, put a lot of effort and thought into where we're going and then sacrifice into building that. Uh, And like, I don't know much about professional sports because I haven't been a professional athlete, but I've seen a lot of professional athletes uh, and known them. And there's a tremendous amount of sacrifice that it takes to get there. If you think back to when you were that kid in Hobart dreaming of playing for the Tassie Devils, it was Tassie Devils, right? It was, yep. Yeah. Did they have a large amount of success, by the way? Look, the, the team was was always under-resourced, so it was a, a small-town team. And Hobart was very different in the, the mid to late 90s where um, the, you know, the economy was struggling and there was people exiting the state and you know it wasn't a connected world like we live in now. So it was a... It was a pretty tough place and the team was extremely low budget. So I had three years. The first year we won two games. The next year we won four games. And then my third year we won eight games. So you could say we're on a good trajectory <laughs> up. Unfortunately, yeah. the, 
the club hit some some financial trouble and that was a time that the league was looking to decrease the number of teams. So Hobart, Geelong and Gold Coast all exited the competition. But um, I, I think the team did overachieve and that was um, you know, yeah. a good start for me of working out, well, sometimes you don't have the resources, but how can you be innovative and essentially have no excuses? Yeah, I like that. But back to young Mark. I want to talk about young Mark. Like young Mark as in like 12, 13-year-old Mark. How, how tall is young Mark at 12? Yeah, I, I was always tall and lanky. So if you look back at in school photos, I would have been half a head tall than people and really continued growing till I was 18 or, or 19. So I'm six foot six in the old scale, 198 centimetres, but I was an absolute featherweight when I first started playing <laughs> professional basketball. So got pushed around quite a bit. And again, I had just to adjust the style that I played at because I couldn't compete with those those bigger, stronger bodies early on. So for me, yeah, I really worked on my shot and was able to um, be an effective knockdown jump shooter, which was was great. But for me, I always just loved sport. So whether it was recess and lunchtime at school, I was out on the oval playing cricket or kicking a footy. And then it was more around 14, 15, and I, I discovered basketball and I just, I just fell in love with it. And my brothers were actually playing, so Dad had put a hoop up in the backyard, but I'd find myself out there until you know 11 p.m. and the neighbours are saying, Stop bouncing that ball! You're keeping us up, and I, I just, I just loved it. So every moment that I, I could be out shooting, I was, I was doing that. Um, if I was in school, I was thinking about it. If I was in other things, I just, I just loved the game. Yeah. And um, I wasn't very good when I started, but yeah, just, just had a real passion for for playing and competing. And so, and so, as a kid, you're thinking. I imagine how 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 long before you're like, yeah, I want to play NBL one day. How like how long were you playing before you thought that? I think it would have been around sort of year year ten or eleven in school where I just I, I didn't really know much about the NBL to be honest because it, it wasn't really televised. Um, we didn't have access and smartphones and be able to see highlight clips on on social media. So I didn't actually know a lot about the NBL and then went along to an NBL game and was like, wow, this is this is amazing. So for me, you know, again when you're in the backyard, it's that that visualizing. You know, here I am playing for the Devils against the Melbourne Tigers and, and hitting that game-winning shot. And I, I guess I'm a bit of a dreamer in that space that, you know, every time I was practicing, imagining those types of situations. So I never really knew what the pathway to get there was or, or what it involved. But I thought, gee, if I can play this game and, um, you know, just, just played, like never thought about having a career out of it. Yeah. Uh, it was just something that, that grabbed me. And it's so, so obviously you're thinking, oh, I can do this because you're, like you said, you're a bit of a dreamer. <laughs> Did you tell anyone? And how did people respond when you were like, oh, I want to play basketball? I just want to play basketball. Yeah, I, I don't actually recall telling people that story. I've, I've, it's been interesting talking to athletes now that I coach and some of them are saying, well, in grade four, I wrote it in my diary that I want to play in the WNBA or the NBA. And I, I heard Shyla Hill in the media who's just been drafted to the WNBA saying she she went home and told her parents. So I think it might have been you know early primary school. So some some people are just so driven from an early age for me. It wasn't necessarily that direct, but I, I I knew in my mind that I just wanted to play the game. And then opportunities came pretty quickly when I was in uh, in year twelve. Um, had a good club game locally, playing in a senior men's competition. The NBL coach was there, invited me to to train with the team over the summer. And as soon as I got in there, I was like, "Yep, this is this is what where I want to be and what I want to do." And um, had the opportunity over the next twelve months to go from a development player to actually having a a fairly major role in a in an NBL team. So how how old are you when you sign your first professional sporting contract? 
Yeah, so I was uh, 18 years old, and when we when we talk about signing a contract, it was um, my first contract was structured around reimbursement of expenses, James. <laughs> so I, I think I I was playing for Tasmania at the under 20 Australian Championships, and the the deal was the club said, "Hey, look, we'll, we'll cover your flights and, and so forth to go to the the Oz Champs," which I was like, "Man, that's that's awesome!" And um, yeah, and then I I was a development player that first year, and one of our, our Americans actually was injured, so I played the the very last game of the season, and that was just amazing. It was a home game in Hobart, you know, five thousand people, friends and family were there, and I just remember the first time I caught the ball in the in the keyway, I saw John Dodge coming at me. He was this guy that was seven foot, one of the He's best. Huge. Best shot he, now, he was time. also one of the owners of one of the best mullets ever in professional sports for a while. Yep, yep. And he was he was a big, big guy and you know, wasn't afraid to to be an enforcer on the court. I just almost just shut my eyes and threw it and the shot went in. I was like, wow, this is just, just amazing. <laughs> yeah. I missed my next three shots for that game, but it did didn't matter. It just it enabled me to understand what the the energy and the pressure was at that level and then you know, really had a good off season and, and the next year was um was in the main team at, at, at 19, so that was just um, just fantastic. Um, I was actually studying um, a full-time load at university and I was playing in the old Southeast Australian Basketball League, um, also playing for my club team. So a day would be go to uni, um, you know, go to, to Hobart Devils training, then jump in the car and go to the Siebel team training or the club training. Um, so huge days and a lot of basketball, but it, for me, it just I just thought that's what you do and... Um, yeah, when you when you come back to talking about sacrifice, I didn't really think about sacrificing things at the time, but definitely, you know, missed family events, missed hanging out with mates. But for me, there was nowhere else I wanted to be. I was just either yeah. either studying or or on on the basketball court and playing. So that was uh, that was life, and it just seemed normal. Yeah, and did you uh, did your studies suffer? It did absolutely. And I was like, did um, your basketball study for or your study suffer? Which one were you? No, giving my up study this? suffered, and I think the the big thing for me this was before universities really recognised um, the requirements of elite sport, and there weren't elite elite athlete programs like there are in most universities now. And I, I remember going to my lecture in quantitative methods, which was a subject I wasn't enjoying at the best of times. I said, I've been selected to go to the junior world championships in Greece. So I'm going to miss four weeks of study. There's a couple of assignments during that time. I'm just I'm not going to get them in because I'm on the other side of the world. And the lecturer said, "Well, if you don't get them in, you you fail those." And I said, "Well, okay. <laughs> I guess I'll see you next <laughs> semester repeating that subject." So, yeah, yeah my, my studies did suffer, and then I I moved from Hobart to Brisbane, and it's probably my big regret from sport that I I didn't finish that that study at, at, at university. And it's actually something I'm considering getting back to now, you know, over 20 years later. So. I, I'm somewhat envious of, of modern athletes who are provided with laptops and have, um, you know, professional development, career development advisors who will actually go and negotiate with um, study institutions on their behalf around loading and, and so forth. So back in, in my era, that it just wasn't it wasn't possible. And that it's like, well, do you go and play for Australia or do I go to quantitative methods? It, it wasn't a tough decision for me. No, I was like, yeah, I I would have made that quite quickly. Yeah. And how did that go? Because you, so you plan that's your, your junior boomers, right? What it are was, they? It was under twenties, and um, it was the junior world championships. So we actually uh, we won a silver medal. It was in Athens, in Greece, and just amazing for me. Wow. You know, kid from Hobart, I'd never been overseas, and wearing the green and gold around Athens, which is a a sports man. It's like a a, a Melbourne. 
Yeah, um, right. But basketball was huge. So everywhere we went in Greece, downtown, people were talking to us, oh, you know, you're the basketballers from Kangaroo Land. Come in, I've got a deal for you. And, <laughs> you know, again, as as 19-year-olds, it was just just amazing. And uh, we actually played Greece in the, the, the championship game in front of 20,000 people. Uh, just Ooh. just absolutely amazing experiences that, that I'll never forget. And um, I only had a very minor role on that team, but, you know, players like, like Sam McKinnon, who went on to have extraordinary careers um, here in Australia, think out of that group of 12 players, 11 of them went on to probably have, um, you know, 10-year careers professionally in the NBL. So a really special group and, yeah. um, you know, lots of great experiences and, and lots of great learnings in life. And so you played against America at that World Championships, am I right? We did, and you know, for people that that follow the NBA, and a, a guy that's only just retired, I think he's a, he's about my age, Vince <laughs> Carter. Um, he was the the star of that team. Um, he's been the star team. of every team he's been on. <laughs> he, he was, and yeah, he was. He this was just before he went to North Carolina, so he, he was out of out of the U.S. high school system, and everyone was saying this is the next Michael Jordan, like the way he jumps, and yeah, yeah he was going to Michael Jordan's uh, college over there, so just just so much hype and. We actually beat Team USA in the first game of the tournament with a with a buzzer beater or, or close to it. So that that set our our tournament up really well. How is that? Like, did no one was expecting you weren't expecting to win that game, were you? No, no. I mean, Team USA every tournament they go to, they're expected to win, and just the, the hype they had around that team. It was fortunate for us. Say everyone was talking. Oh, there's this there's this guy that um, he's probably going to get drafted, but he's supposed to be in Team USA, which was. Um, Kevin Garnett, and uh, he probably would have made a difference if he was there. But uh, you know, yep, <laughs> a, couple of, a couple of people that had you know fifteen year careers. Stephen Marbury was another guy who has played a lot overseas in China, got his own sneaker brand, and yeah, they, these guys went on to earn tens of probably in Vince Carter hundreds of millions of dollars, oh, and easily just, just amazing to to share a court with them, and I, I guess see where their careers went, and just just be a very small part of. Um, yeah, their experience, and beating them, and beating them. So then, so you, so you go back to Hobart, you play three years in Hobart, and then you move to Brisbane. You said, yeah, three years in what, Brisbane. What, what was kind of that move? I'm going from Hobart to Brisbane because those cities are not near each other. No, no, they're not. So that's where Hobart um, actually, due to that financial trouble, that the NBL took their license back. It was over in today's dollars, a very small debt, but um, again, the league was trying to reduce the number of teams, so. Uh, Hobart was was out, so I was like, "Well, what what do we do now?" And there was talk that the, the club would be out for a year and try and re-enter um, in two seasons' time. So I actually stayed in Hobart, played in the next level down, which was a, a league across Tasmania and Victoria. And then then it was becoming clearer that that Hobart wasn't coming back. Um, and I had a couple of clubs that reached out to me and decided to play uh, for the Brisbane Bullets again, a, a powerhouse career foundation club in the league and. Um, packed up my Holden Commodore, jumped on the ferry, drove to Brisbane and had three years in Brisbane. And um, there was a coaching change there. And then Phil Smythe, uh, the Adelaide coach, uh, reached out, which was just amazing because that club had um, won a couple of championships in Phil's first three years there. And to be able to come into a program like that was um, you know, a, a huge privilege. And I had, then I had seven years in Adelaide to finish out my NBL career. Because that's a long career in professional sports. Like, yeah. how many years is that? Yeah, so I, I had 13 years all up, which it, it is a, a fair stint. And at, at the time, like, the, the weeks can sometimes drag because training's tough and you're carrying injuries and just <laughs> the physical demands of traveling and so forth. But I look back and it's it's like five minutes now. So 
to have to have 13 years, but also to be able to experience those three different clubs, which had yeah. you know, very different cultures and and leadership styles and and resources, just really sort of gave me insights into um, yeah, we're playing the same game in the same competition, but the rules are a little different depending on on who you play for. So. Um, playing for different coaches as well was was really um, really great, and then uh, obviously in, in Australian junior teams as well, having the opportunity just to hear a different voice and a different way of, of going about it. So for me, that was something that I was really interested in, even though we didn't really you know, have the, the resources that clubs have now around player development. It was all fairly organic in my time, yeah. but it was always just trying to take little bits. And now I've stepped into the world of semi professional coaching myself is is just trying to take bits that I liked from each program and perhaps bits I didn't like and say, well, what's now my philosophy as a coach and how, how do I set myself up as a leader of, of emerging athletes in a, in a national competition? What was the most points you ever averaged in a season? I think the, the highest was, was around 10, which is not a superstar by any means. So for me, I was really a role player and um, you know, I, I was an above average rebounder, I think, for my size. So my my strengths that I brought to a team, I could knock down the open shot, so that enabled teams to to space the floor out for the superstars, and then was able to compete really well um, on the boards and and be a versatile defender. So for me, um, I was like the coaches would say, "Well, okay, what what's the role that we need filled?" And then I, I'd sort of jump into those spots. And then when I went into my professional life, it was a little the same to start with, and something I. I guess I really took away from sport was how you can be adaptable and not not pigeonhole yourselves because for me in sport I, I couldn't I had I had to take the role that I was given and generally the opportunities I I had early was if someone was injured or um, was unavailable for whatever reason that I got those opportunities and um, I, I guess the thing that I learned was a lot of the teams had success there was a couple of years that were were not successful so again it's what you take away from those how do you how do you, you stay the course of a season when things are not going well and, and how do you not get too carried away when you won five or six games in a row because that can also crash pretty quickly. And within the team environment, as you remember back in your 13 years, what if you think of your best teammates, what made someone the best teammate? Yeah, I think for me it was just around you know, honest honest conversations and you know, in the team environment there's, there's often a lot of heat and energy and emotion, particularly after after tough losses. But the, the teammates that I really remember um, the most fondly were the ones that were able to, to stay fairly composed and measured. And, you know, the, the superstars in the teams weren't the best teammates, to be honest. And um, But but their role was also, you know, more high-pressured, so they'd probably feel the, the pressure more than than some of us who were role players. And that's, that's key. Well, within the lead different circles, we call that the idea of self-leadership, like leading yourself well. When the, through the highs and the lows, um, and maintaining your who you want to be and who you want to show up as. So, what's if you could pick one moment from your career that is an absolute a highlight, best thing to ever happen? What what moment would that be? And it could be a championship. It could be just a moment in a game. It could be whatever. But yeah, what would be the the highlight? Yeah, there's two that that really stand out. I think my my first game in Adelaide was. Um, just just amazing i again a player was injured so i was brought into the starting five it was the second game of the season and and had a a pretty um you know hard to script moment where i hit five three-pointers in the first half and eight thousand people in adelaide were just going crazy and i was like oh i'm gonna be a superstar here in adelaide this is this is great but that, that was a moment that i just i'll never forget it's sort of the um you know the goosebumps moment where you're like wow this is this is what it's all about 
Um, but, but winning the championship absolutely was the most amazing moment. And I think the thing with that is that in sport, you know, winning a championship, you can get up the next day saying we've actually accomplished, accomplished the goal. Whereas yeah. every, every other team that finishes the season, whether you finish, you know, you lose that championship game or get knocked out in the finals or don't make the finals, there's a there's a sense that you haven't accomplished the goal because yeah. the season goes on, but you're finished. So I think, uh, you know, that was quite an amazing moment of just saying, yep, this season. But then the next preseason rolls on and you, you're back to it again. So, but just just winning a, a championship at, at home in Adelaide in front of our fans was was absolutely amazing. On, on the on the flip side of that, though, what's a what's something that happened in your career where you're like, that was the worst, and I wish that I could change how I showed up to that. Um, injury was was certainly the thing that that impacted my career the most. And you know, to be honest, I probably played a season or two too many. But that was the the athlete mindset of the mind saying we can turn this around and get back to where it was a couple of years ago. But um, I, I did have a lot of trouble with injury injury towards the end of my career and. Um, it, it, it's really difficult because you you do think you can overcome it, but just to be able to step on the court and and not be able to perform at your best and at that level, there's a lot of scrutiny. And that was yeah. at the time where you know sort of um, you know um, online um, discussion boards and things were coming in, and and it was hard not to jump on and read that that stuff as well. Of oh, you know, Mark Nash is a waste of space. Why have we got him in the team and, and so forth? So that was yeah. those sort of things were were, were tough times, but. Um, yeah, it was just the, the challenge of injury and, and and feeling like you're letting your teammates and coaches down as well was was disappointing. So for me, yeah, injury definitely the hardest part of pro sport. Being a South Australian, thank you for uh, winning that championship. That's that's great news. Uh, but you, you mentioned earlier on that um, you weren't expected to go that far as a team. Uh, was there anything in particular that actually? assisted in what, what was the difference what was the difference between what people expected and the reality of what the team was able to produce yeah it's a really good question and one that was asked and and the team was essentially in a rebuilding phase where they'd had a, a lot of success in a in a short period of time and there was a couple of players uh the way i understand it that were um, based on overseas contracts and they were sort of penciled in to come back the year after so the team that, that we put together or the coaches put together I think essentially it was like, well, let's let's be competitive this year and then really sort of load up the following season. Some of the, the, the key things for us, we actually went on a pre-season tour to China, uh, which was um, the Australian government had negotiated that with uh, the Chinese Basketball Association. This was actually just before Yao Ming was drafted. So we we toured around China with, with Yao Ming and the guy's 228 centimetres. And he actually, he dunked on me the first... Um, first possession of this three-game series. Nice. I, I, I fouled him as yeah. well. So I looked over at my coach and just had his head <laughs> in his hands and, and you know, in a, in a stadium just, just packed and the local Chinese supporters were going crazy. It was televised, tens of millions of people. For so people that, that don't know, Yao was one of the biggest players to ever play in the NBA but also one of the strongest. Like He was. And, so he and, could have taken three of you up to the hoop with him probably. Absolutely. And, and, and an amazing person as well, like really humble yeah. guy but was – an absolute rock star we went. So that, that preseason trip to China was was amazing for us. Our, our American recruit, a guy by the name of Willie Farley, who was out of Chicago, joined us on that trip and and that was just invaluable. Like we were we were traveling around. Some of the, the days were great, like um, just getting to explore China and, and travel. Some of the days were pretty rough where guys had, you know, gastro because of the food and the conditions. But it was just a an amazing time of of coming together as a team. And I think you know, corporate organisations, 
um, you know, replicate that in different ways with you know um, re retreats and so forth and planning and strategy sessions. But that was a real key one for us. But I think the other keys were people were really prepared to play a role. And we had two superstars in that team and then another couple of guys that were sort of sub-superstars. Uh, but the rest of the team, you know, really played a role. We played for each other and it was just an amazing year. And we, we got to a point of um, we, we finished, we just scraped through the finals. A, a couple of things went our way and then uh, ended up getting home court advantage for the grand final series after knocking off a, a more favoured team in the semifinals. And, and I think we just believed that we could do it, even though externally, yeah, that some of the, the conversation might have been, well, they're not as talented, but yeah, we really had that self-belief as a team that we could beat anyone in the competition. Mm. And that's huge. And I think about, um, I guess, the, the, the rhythm of sport that you mentioned. When you win a championship, that's the only time when you can just kind of wake up the next morning and go, yeah, we, we did it, we accomplished it. What happens the day after that, like how do you transition from, yeah, we did it to, all right, let's get started and think about going again? Yeah, after winning the championship, getting up the next day, it's like, what what do we do next? <laughs> we've, we've won the championship. There's there's no more games. Yeah. And, and again, our team in Adelaide was was very, um, you know, family-oriented and family-based. I think that was also another strength. So we had a lot of, you know, barbecues at people's houses and it wasn't a, a, a big partying team by any you see stories of overseas teams of, you know, the celebrations that go on for weeks. But for us, it was just, we just enjoyed each other's company so much that we'd, you know, we went 10 pin bowling in Hawaiian shirts and all those <laughs> sort of things that were, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty lame and low key. But that was the sort of team we were that was just, we just really enjoyed each other's company. And then, then over the, the coming weeks, then um, it was just more than focusing on the next season. And um, as I mentioned, the, the team was essentially, um, pre-recruited so there was some turnover in that team and um, some higher profile came, players came into the next pre-season pre so the team looked and felt a lot differently and um, so that's that's the other interesting thing about sport you can experience great success and then quite often that can be disbanded pretty quickly where you know someone might retire be a bit of a swan song retirement with a championship or someone gets a better contract offer to go elsewhere so sport's quite unique that you don't you don't have a lot of time to celebrate and then everyone tends to go off um, to what's next. And I think we have that that mentality in sport that it's, okay, that's great, now what's next? And we look, we look back on it fondly and we reminisce and tell stories that are well over-exaggerated probably to what was reality. <laughs> but um, I think that's the, the thing for me that business sometimes struggles to, to celebrate those successes because it's like, well, what, what's the end point? Is it a, a quarterly performance for share market? Is it... Uh, for shareholders, is it the end of financial year results? Is it performance reviews? Whereas I think sport does a better job of of celebrating those wins as they happen, whether it's a tough road trip where you get a, a win that you shouldn't have. And, and equally, I think sport does a great job of being able to to, to manage losses and, and dealing with tougher times because it's a, it's addressed and it's dealt with. And then again, you, you move on. Your um, first big move, which you consider from you know Hobart to Brisbane, what would your life had been like had you have said no to that opportunity? Yeah, it's uh, another another really good question. I have actually thought about that one quite a bit, and I think if, if I decided not to move, I that would have been it for basketball in the NBL. There's um, a team coming back into the National League now for 2021-22, but that's that's well <laughs> after my prime, so I, I would have missed that. Uh, 
missed the so that that would have been it and I, i'd imagine i would have um you know gone into full-time employment somewhere and um had a very different life and it, life would have been um so so different for me around family I, I wouldn't have met my my wife and and it's just it's quite amazing when you look at those sliding doors moments so for me again that when that opportunity came up to move to brisbane and i i didn't even really think about it. i thought yep that's that's an opportunity i'm, I'm doing that I, I didn't think too much about well what are the consequences of that where am i where am i living up there and what's the environment i was just just so excited by it but it's when you reflect back and say that was actually a bit of a crossroads moment and I, I would have missed all those opportunities maybe there would have been different opportunities in, a, in another space but for me as we talked about at the start it was like well, well basketball and sport is I, I, I want to chase that and I want to try and squeeze as much as I can out of that for me and to be able to have that for 13 years was um yeah just just quite a journey I'm interested in your insight then in like what actually makes an elite athlete because obviously there's these components that they've got to have the the skills they've got to have the um i guess the work ethic and they've got to have the right mental aptitude as well like is there a is there a great um percentage of all of those things that make up plus a whole lot of luck that happens at the same time like what's what's your understanding of that yeah there is and we we didn't talk a lot of buzzwords um back in the day but i think resilience has a big part of it it's just just an ability to be able to to get onto the next the next opportunity or the next job or the next task, whatever it might be, and and sometimes I think it, it might even be a little naive that you don't you don't think through those things at the time, but it's just an ability that athletes have to be able to to fight through and to deal with injuries and to deal with setbacks. And there was, if I reflect back into junior sport, there was a lot of really talented players coming through junior ranks, yeah, you know, right across the country when you're playing Australian Junior uh, Championships, and I I wonder well. You know why did some of those people with extraordinary talent not get onto the um, to the levels of success perhaps they were touted to? And each of those are obviously individual cases, but I think resilience uh, does have a, a a big part in it. Just a, just that ability to be able to to fight through and and to to, to stay focused as well. Um, and athletics and elite sport is is very unique. It's it's not like uh, what I sort of call the real world now, I guess, where it's it, it's it's so uh, cutthroat and you, you do have to be prepared just to um, just to fight every single day for your spot to, to keep that so even though you're, you're competing against other teams you're actually competing with your teammates at times as well which is is um, you know quite a unique environment to be in yeah all right so switch gears not a little bit completely um, so you, so the amazing thing is you've achieved extraordinary success as an athlete like you know world championships playing representing your country at junior and senior level and then winning the championships in the league the top league that you can play in all that's extraordinary how would you define success post athletic career have you thought about that have you put any thought on that because that's I mean I know that's a huge hard transition which you've alluded a little bit to that some do well and some don't do well what how would you define success post post basketball mark yeah, it, it's it's an interesting one because I think success for me there's there's different elements to that. It's about you know, you know what you're looking to achieve professionally. For me, I've I've got three young kids who, you know, in year year twelve, year ten, and year seven. So for me, there's um, there's a measure of success as a as a father and parent and and what we do in the, yeah. the home environment and and that became a real focus for me. And I think my my career off the court has been very non-linear. A lot of people will finish year twelve go to university, get a qualification, and then let's say you're a lawyer, you might start off as a junior junior lawyer for a number of years, 
Yeah. Um, and then the goal is to work up to become a partner. For me, it, it wasn't that. I was like, well, I've finished professional sport. I, I still wanted to play basketball at a good level, and that was a big part of our move back to Hobart to a, to have another three, four, five years playing the next level yeah. down. And and then it was, again, a fairly organic period of um, of getting started through you know, community programs, had some time in local government, and then working with a couple of national non-profit organisations, which was um, was quite amazing. So for me, I, I've, again, I've been reflecting on that that fairly recently, and I think the the success there has been the, the ability to adapt. And yeah. I, I also think as well that a lot of professional athletes really do struggle w- with life after basketball, whether it's a loss of identity. And for me, I, I, I certainly didn't feel that. I, I don't I don't miss playing because again, there was injuries and it was a real grind for the last few years. Whereas some players, even at the non-professional level, really, really struggle when they have to to hang the boots up, whatever sport it is. And it's well documented with some of the yeah. more high profile Olympic athletes and and certainly athletes in my generation in basketball. So I, I think a, a success measure has been able to to forge a professional career and 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 really be adaptable in in different environments. Yeah, stay out of the news in your post career. Is that what you mean? <laughs> yeah, like, and I, I think again, it's that you know probably for me being a role player, and that was the approach I took in organisations as well of of uh, you know being someone that was willing to put your hand up for for perhaps things that other people didn't want to do, and I, I didn't think that was anything special at the time, but I think that was one of the things you know feedback from organisations I was in was just around that sort of collaborative nature of being able to to work with different people and and get on and um, yeah, really take on whatever role, and and for me that created opportunities. So, if you could define, like, what's one of the what's a risk? So, let's talk about two risks that you took. A risk that you took that worked out, and then a risk that you took that didn't work out. I'm someone that that is prepared to take risks, and I again I haven't really thought about it, but I guess it's a confidence to know that looking at what's the worst thing that can happen in in these uh, situations and circumstances, and and perhaps sometimes I've underestimated those consequences, and there's been times post-sport that I got really excited about an opportunity and um, it was about a decade ago now that um, with a couple of friends we were creating a lot of momentum around some some programs and activities and we decided to create a business around that took on a, a couple of commercial leases and we're like we're going to smash this out of the park and it's going to be amazing but we're actually quite naive there we didn't didn't have a business plan we didn't we didn't have cash reserves that we could rely on and we we looked, we went all in and we we yeah. just thought that would be amazing and then you know one of the business partners decided to leave the business and then there was there was two of us and it, it became really challenging really quickly so that was i think a, a risk for me that was under calculated and I, I learned a lot from that and then decided to go more um, down the path of working within an organization rather than to trying to start something from scratch um, but I, I guess the opportunity that I'm going into now is is around uh, risk and opportunity as well, where um, yeah, we've been a lot more calculated, we've been been really planned, but also being prepared to take opportunities. And yeah, that's one of the learnings for me that hopefully for the next 20 or 25 years of my working life, uh, all those experiences, whether it's sport, whether it's you know working as a salaried employee or in startup businesses, there's just so many learnings and. Um, just last year, I actually worked in a big multinational organisation, and, and risk management was was huge. So I took taken heaps away from that, yeah. and you know, hopefully, able to apply that um, in a very measured way moving forward. Let's talk about Swisher, Swisher uh, Hoops Academy. Yep. It's an idea you came up with, right? 
Yeah, so my, myself and my two business partners, we're all um, we, we're good mates, and that's that's sometimes a risk going into business, but we're we're all very aware of that, and we've been transparent with that up front. Yeah. Uh, but it was it was actually are during... they basketball players as well, or are they you're, you're the hooker? yeah. So uh, one of them, um, guy Anthony Stewart, who actually um, had a lot of success in the NBL, and he and I moved back to Tasmania um, at the same time. It wasn't wasn't planned, but um, I, I guess the two of us have probably had. Um, you know, similar journeys. Um, Anthony played probably an extra five years to me, and um, had more time with the Australian Boomers. And our our business partner is is David Bartlett, who's the forty third Premier of Tasmania, and um, just an amazing um, innovator and creative thinker, and extremely well connected. So the three of us were looking at. Um, we all have um, kids in their teens, and we we just couldn't find a court for them to get get extra shots up. So. We were, we were looking at shots doing, being basketball, yeah, not, to, to, not <laughs> little glasses <laughs> of alcohol. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Clarification. Just, just practice. We were, we were looking. Well, did we hire a warehouse and put up some basketball rings on the on the wall? And then we we thought, well, there's all these squash courts sitting around that are that are unused. What if we could get hold, get access to a squash court? We'll, we'll mark out the basketball lines in the space there is. And um, we did that during during COVID. So it was around sort of August. Um, September, we actually launched our first, and we call them the Shot Labs, where it's um, you know all keyless entry. Our members um, you know sign up to a monthly membership in much the same way as a twenty four hour gym, right? And it just went absolutely um, you know insane in a positive way, where we were quite overwhelmed with the response, and and this thing is just just booked solid, and um, that was great. And our plan was to then expand um, and ha- have a network of these Shot Labs and essentially looking at recreation centres that we might be able to access squash courts. Yeah. Um, but then we actually started having some conversations with the University of Tasmania and they had a, a major site in the middle of Hobart that was planned to be demolished um, and you know, student accommodation and administration. Due to the, the COVID pandemic, that was um, put on hold for three to five years and, and we were essentially asked the question, could we activate that space and upscale our, our shot lab concept and provide spaces for university students to to connect and have a, a great experience living in Hobart for, for international and interstate students. So it was uh, yeah, quite an amazing opportunity and we're now um, yeah, probably a, a month or so away from launching this this huge city site uh, right in downtown Hobart. So again, when we talk about opportunity, it, it's just um, you know, one that we couldn't have scripted and couldn't have planned, but um, you know, I guess all the momentum that we've built and, and being prepared to to adapt and adjust our our business model has um, yeah. put us in a really strong position here to create something that's absolutely unique here in Australia. Oh, I've I saw the video of what you guys and the 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 shot return where it follows you. It does. Well, so it's it's and that's the thing that's that's different about this. It uh, enables our members to to track all their data. Yeah. Uh, it's it's great to be able to go and practice any sort of sport if it's just one person you know it could be kicking a football or hitting a tennis ball or whatever it might be but to be able to actually track your data to store that in an app and to be able to then measure progress is is fantastic and uh, yeah we, we can't wait to upscale this and look at additional technology that we might be able to implement or, or perhaps even develop ourselves and yeah. the great thing about basketball it's a global game and we've had um you know, individuals and groups from right across Australia reach out to say, well, are you considering expansion? We've had interest from overseas just through our network saying, hey, well, look, we're, we're keeping an eye on, on Swisher Hoops Academy. It looks like it's it's just uh, yeah, amazing innovation and, and just a just a, 
a great space to de- develop people's love of the game, but also you know work on the technical aspects of, of basketball. Hey, to to kind of wrap this up, one of the things you've talked about learning all before, but if you could uh, pinpoint one book that you've read over the last that's that's been part of your success in some level, whether it's post or during basketball, what book would that be, and what did you learn from it? Yeah, you know, I've been reading a lot uh, over the last couple of years, and you know, perhaps not so much the last couple of months when I've I've been training, but. Um, one of the books I really enjoyed reading was uh, by Phil Knight. I believe the title is, is Shoe Dog or Shoe Dogs. And it was the story of the, the creator and founder of Nike. And just um, you know, hearing his or reading through his story about you know, someone that was um, you know, got that pa- uh, passion for, for footwear and sneakers and the journey that he had to go on, initially yeah. selling another brand and then um, just the – Was that of his boot, boot trunk, right? It, it was. And, and yeah. it was like a, an athletic shoe for, for sprinters and – and just hearing how that evolved over time and the, the challenges that he had around you know, international supply and um, it, it was it was a fantastic read. I really like those um, biographical type type accounts. I'm, I'm reading another book at the moment. The, the title escapes me, but it's all around um, you know, coaching and, and how coaches are, are essentially teachers and how um, you know, contemporary coaching is a lot different than it was in, in the old school days of you know, being more motivational and just trying to 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 give players the the big um, pregame speech or, or or rip them at halftime, uh, just just how coaching has really evolved to be um, you know very scientific and and very planned and measured. So for me, I think those learnings can be in business, they can be in education, they can be in coaching, and and for me, I'm I'm quite fascinated in that space. And again, as we mentioned earlier, you know perhaps even looking at some some future um, professional development for me um, in that space as well because I just I love learning and um, I, I think you know we can learn from people but we can also learn through through reading and, and further study yeah reading's amazing the uh, so so to kind of tie this thing is if if kids are wanting to become a professional basketball player other than to, to find a Swisher hoops academy to shoot at what would be the other piece of advice that you could give them? Yeah, well, it's it's really an interesting question, and, and so many young people now have that dream, and they say, "I want to be a professional athlete, whatever the the sport is." And it's really interesting when you you crunch the numbers of the percentages of, of populations that come through, say, junior sport, um, and when we look at the university college system, there's you know tens of thousands of student athletes, and I think it's it's less than one percent of those that actually go on to have yeah. any sort of professional career, and, and one of the um, you know, the, the language that we're actually using with our partnership here with the University of Tasmania is around dual career education. So, you know, people that that, that might have a, a burning desire to play sport, but saying, well, you know, that's that's a big risk. And we've talked a bit about risk today and, you know, just, just going down that pathway exclusively, you know, what happens if you get an injury or, or what happens if you just don't get the opportunity because maybe you're not talented enough or maybe you haven't been discovered. So, so really having a, having a plan and being measured. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that, that young athletes face. And I know I, I didn't really think through it enough at the time myself. So <laughs> being able to guide people to, to say, you have to have a strategy and you have to have a plan. And some of that's, you know, the, the technical aspect of sport, but it's also really important to to map that out and, and, and have a plan and be prepared to adapt and adjust along the way. And if one particular pathway is cut off to say, well, okay, that's that's gone. Maybe I, 
I'd, I'd like to go to the US college system and go to university, but I don't, um, I don't select the right subjects, so I'm in, ineligible. So what's an alternative pathway? And um, really mapping that out. And that's something at Swisher Hoops Academy we, we're really focusing on to, to provide great basketball experiences for people, but also to whether it's a, a career or vocational pathway to, to really um, give people good balance because I think that's important. And, you know, elite athletes um, are in environments that, that's much better than certainly when I, I came through there, but it's, it's, just, it's just really crucial to, to not, just, um, not just have tunnel vision that I'm going to be an athlete and that's, it's just a, it's a, it's a linear um, A to B um, process. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Thank you. Now, is there anything we can promote for you before uh, we let you go? Oh look, really? It's um, yeah, we're we're super excited about the journey we're on at, at Swisher Hoops Academy. So um, if anyone's interested, you can follow us on on Instagram and face, Facebook. If you just search up Swisher Hoops Academy, and and really sort of over the next couple of weeks, you'll see our, our journey. We've got this warehouse, uh, and we're fitting out tiles. So part of my roles, yes, I'm I'm one of the the co-founders and director here, but I'll be putting the the safety boots and the high vis on, and and getting in there and and really involved there. So. Yeah, we we're so excited, and um, yeah. yeah, there's uh, there's been a so lot. So we we'll put all the links in the show notes for That's people right. to to find you guys. Um, th- now, is that just in Tassie, or can we find that in? Yeah, Australia it is just well? just in Hobart um, at, okay. for the for the time being. But um, we, we're certainly looking at you know regional expansion in Tasmania and then potentially interstate. But for us, it's about consolidating the model. Yeah. Uh, but there's been. Yeah, we've been really um, quite overwhelmed in a positive way about the the level of interest from from interstate, and it's uh, it shows you know like our, our brands um, is is fun and, and engaging, and yeah, you know, we're really keen to to see if we can increase our footprint. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, this has been a, a great conversation, Mark. Really appreciate your time and your insight. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, you're welcome, Kyron. Thanks a lot, um, and James for having me along. It's it's been a really enjoyable chat. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to staying uh, connected with Lead Different. Thanks for listening to the Lead Different podcast. At Lead Different, we are building leaders worth following. If you'd like to find out more information about this and leading yourself well, head to leaddifferent.org.